1: yourself you get what you need. Oh.
0: oh yeah you know it is all about getting what you need and that's why you are listening to sex health with carol the coach it is so important for you to get the information that will actually increase your recovery whether you're a sex addict a partner a family member of sex addiction. You know, truly, sex addiction affects everybody. And we're always talking about resources that can make a difference. Today, I've got Erin Ford on. He is actually the founder of a brand-new training program called the Mindfulness Academy for Addiction and Trauma Training. So he has made it his mission to train therapists to help you learn better skills with mindfulness, which has been absolutely proven to make recovery more effective. Whether you're a partner who needs to de-traumatize or whether you're an addict who wants to work on the triggers, the kinds of things that he's teaching and training clinicians to do will help you move forward. So I thought it would be good for you to hear about him, hear about his new academy, and talk further about mindfulness and why that is so important. He wrote a great book. I want him to talk about it. So thank you uh, for coming on and and talking to us today about addiction therapy with a mindful approach.
2: Thank you so much, Carol, for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here.
0: Well, and we both are good friends, and you actually help publish Help Her Heal. So you do a lot of different things. You wear a lot of different hats,
2: don't you? I do, I do, yeah. I run in quite a few different companies. um, And I thought I would want to share with you uh, one thing about your book, Help Her Heal, which is I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's our number one bestseller. Oh, so I that just makes I me share that with
0: you. Yeah, thank you so much because I know I'm in good company,
2: um, and <laughs> I
0: appreciate that. And let's face it, it's it's really been needed. Um, I just talked to Stephanie Carnes, who's writing a book on helping couples to heal, and I'm really excited about that because truly, that's what this book is too. I mean, Help Her Heal is a sex addiction workbook to help develop empathy, and empathy is the start of good communication and, of course, trust-building. So it is so important. But I can't say it's any more important than your book. Tell them a little bit about the book you wrote on mindfulness and addiction.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, so my book is called Awakening from the Sexually Addicted Mind, and it's a book um, that – really incorporates my personal experience in addiction. Um, I'm in recovery myself, and how mindfulness was and is still today, a foundational, powerful tool for me uh, in my recovery and how that uh, how that can be applied for recovery in general. So I think you know, for the longest time when I was in recovery so long ago, when I started, Nobody knew about this mindfulness thing and and nobody really talked about it and I was lucky enough to have a therapist that kind of really pushed me into aware the awareness of mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness and and now, with all the research that you know Richard Davison has done and John Kappazan and Daniel Siegel have done, we see that that mindfulness is is absolutely essential to recovery. But back then, nobody knew about it, and so i was I was very lucky to have you know been introduced to it through kind of one of those on the fringe therapists at that time, if you will. And since then it has just been um, and it it's been a trans transformational piece in my life, and it's been absolutely transformational over the last decade and a half of using it to treat my clients. And so then Mari Lee and I kind of got together because she saw the same uh, impact with her clients, and we decided to start a new training company to train therapists on mindfulness. So that's kind of how it parlayed.
0: Yes, and are these therapists specifically that work with sex addiction and partner betrayal, or or are they for therapists in other uh, niches also?
2: Yeah, so it's definitely therapists that are that work with addiction in general. However, I will say because as you know, uh, you know, a lot of my, my personal colleagues and friends are CSATs and a lot of the community that I'm tied to is is with a certified sex addiction therapist. So there are quite a few certified sex addiction therapists that have also joined in in this, but, but it's open to therapists who work with addiction in general. so And mental health okay. professionals, really, not just therapists.
0: So since our listening audience is comprised of addicts in good recovery, some not so good, some just finding out about how to seek recovery, and partners, and then clinicians and coaches, how might they find you... Um, and look into this training program, because I know that you've got waiting lists. It, it, you're not necessarily guaranteed to be able to get the course right away.
2: Yes, that's actually correct. In fact, we're, we're pushing out till September at this point of next year uh, to for the, the launching. But the waiting list uh, continues to grow, and we're very excited about it. And the response has been really quite overwhelming. If you are a therapist and you're interested, you can go to TMAT. It's T-M-A-A-T-T dot com, and you can sign up for the waiting list there. Um, if you are and you're on, on the West Coast, of course, you can reach me through Mindful centers with an S dot um, And if you need our books, you know, you can always go to Sanopress dot com. That's S-A-N-O press dot com.
0: Well, that's right. And remind everybody, the name of the book is?
2: My latest book is Awakening from the Sexually Addicted Mind, A Guide to Compassionate Recovery. And, you know, that is really the crux of it, right? Mindfulness demands a compassionate component. I shouldn't even say demands. That's maybe too forceful, but it, 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 cultivates a compassionate recovery process and that's what's so essential us as addicts if we could um whip ourselves into recovery boy we would all be recovered no problem the problem is though is that that harsh internal dialogue doesn't work we have to learn how to formulate a compassionate one and i that's the cornerstone of of Mindfulness, the mindfulness based work that we do i I often say that it's it's compassion focused uh, recovery or compassion focused therapy that we do um, and that's that's really kind of one of the cornerstones of the entire training program and cornerstones of my book and one of the cornerstones of the work I do I, I would share if it's okay that that compassion doesn't mean um, permission and com- compassion doesn't mean that you don't have that you're not held accountable it it does mean that you're still held accountable for the choices that you make and for the wounds that carry and that you've inflicted on others as as you move into out of active addiction into recovery but it doesn't mean that you um, have that harsh rigid judgmental construct that the mind creates you know we we think of the mind really as a sense organ So it's like your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, and your skin. And the mind really takes in all of the data from all the other sense organs. It organizes it, coordinates it, reflects on your past, and it spits out a hypothesis about the future. We often uh, call the the mind a what-if machine. Um, And that hypothesis about the future is actually never entirely correct. It is. It can be when you're when you're aligned with reality, when you're in honesty, when you have an open mind, an open heart, and a willingness to follow suggestion from those who are farther along in the recovery path than you are. You it, it will be close to alignment with reality, but it won't be entirely, you know, connected to reality. Um, and that's okay. That's part of the human condition, and that's part of the human struggles. We're never 100% correct. With, with anything um, and I think that the, the, the struggle that we have as addicts is we have become fixated on one aspect, on one thing and we cultivate more of that thing, we use actually it's a corrupt use if you will of mindfulness right, we mindfully focus on one action and that action becomes the entire focus of our lives to the detriment of everything else in our lives and that's why we suffer so much. So, yes, yeah, I would sorry, agree I said with a lot. You
0: t- no, I would agree with you totally, and I know that you know mindfulness helps in amazing ways, and certainly for addicts who experience triggers and urges and cravings, it is a wonderful way to do two things. One is obviously reduce the intensity. Of those urges, cravings, and triggers, but when used properly, it can actually um, work in abstaining from the actual triggers. I, I remember when Patrick Carnes said, "You know, if if our addicts would just use mindfulness techniques and imagine that their triggers were moving away." or if they used a giant hand and said, this too shall pass, and, and you easily and effortlessly pushed away that urge, that urge will only continue for a few moments. And to get back on track, mindfulness is a way to make that happen. Um, I love the fact that mindfulness can not only reduce, but also, I don't want to say prevent but it truly can save space for other things, and that is so important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, in our trainings, we talk, we go, and 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 I think what Dr. Corn shared is amazing. And and you know, he, I don't know, I I I always marvel at at how well he understands and sees the whole whole aspect of addiction, you know, and how articulately he expresses. Um, and I remember him talking about that component in mindfulness and just how powerful it was for me. I, I think also what we do is we start to, working with clients, we start to look at how, you know, we talk about how emotions drive thoughts and thoughts coalesce into beliefs and beliefs manifest into behaviors behaviors are practiced into habits, and habits become our destiny. And if we are not able to sit in the distress of an emotion, and we spend our entire life believing the thoughts that we have to get away from that emotion, we will end up in addiction or compulsion. And so part of the what we do as therapists is we're, we're training mindfulness-based addiction therapists or MBAT therapists is we're training clients how to be present with those aspects of their own humanity, those emotions, without having to move away from them because, just like you were saying, everything in life is transitory. Nothing is permanent. And that emotional distress that you're experiencing, if you can stay present long enough, it will change. And it will become less distress, distressing. And it will you will learn as you continue to practice that how to be present with those aspects of yourself that have driven such impulsive and compulsive behaviors and addictive behaviors in your life in the past. And that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And the only way we can do that is if we get to know our mind very well. And that's where the idea of mindful comes from, is knowing your mind, is to remember, is to remember that, you, that your mind is a manifestation of thoughts and beliefs and patterns and processes that you continuously have habituated in your life. And, you know, I, I often compare this, there, there's one really simple analogy. I don't know, growing up, uh, you know, I had I had brothers and a, and a sister, and we used to play In the olden days, it was called the slug bug game. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. <laughs> so when you're, when you're kids, you know, we grew up and, and we'd play the slug bug game, and that is that you would look for, we'd be on vacation, and, you know, we'd be driving in the car across country or something, and we'd be looking out the window for Volkswagen bugs. And first, when you start to look at them, you wouldn't, when you look for them, you wouldn't see any. Then you'd see one and you'd, have to, you'd slug your brother in the arm, right? Or your brother would slug you in the arm. And pretty right. soon, yeah, right. And you, you start looking and you keep looking, and pretty soon, what happens? You and your brother or your sister or whoever are kind of hitting each other in the arm constantly because you see them everywhere, right? This is how, this is a metaphor for how addiction and compulsive works is that you train your mind to look for a substance or a behavior. And the more you do that, the more your body and your mind believe that that's what's important for your survival. So the more it hones in and creates neural pathways to notice that, and that creates a domino effect in your, in your, in your entire, not just psyche, but in, your, in the organic structure of your brain that changes uh, the structure of your brain to, to increase the propensity that you will see or participate or identify or look for the the addictive behavior more and more and more. And so that same aspect or or focus can be used for recovery. So I often tell addicts, the fact that you are an addict is proof that you can recover because you've just been misusing the mindfulness and focus of of your mind to cultivate more addiction. And when we move that focus over to recovery, and you start doing all the thing, things you were doing in addiction for recovery. For example, when you were in addiction, you were reaching out for help to participate in your addiction. You're reaching out to your drug dealer, to, your, you know, to, to the, to the um, Internet, all of these things to, for, to, to help you cultivate more of your addictive behavior. Now we're going to take that same focus of reaching out for help, but we're going to reach out for help from people who are in recovery. Right? and we're going, to, we're going to move away from reaching out for addictive processes and reach out for recovery processes. And that can be enormously difficult and scary to do, but the fact that you did it when you were in addiction is proof that you can do it for recovery. It's just a matter of moving that focus, and that does take time, but you can do it.
0: Well, that's absolutely fascinating. So, Give us an exercise that you would give a client who was uncomfortable with his sense of self or his urges and cravings.
2: Yeah, so I think there, there's a couple of things, right? For, there, there's two components, right? So what I, what I often tell clients at first, in the first stage, is really just notice, right? So when they notice the discomfort to just label it as that, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable, and that's okay. Or if they have thoughts that are distressing, just say, oh, I'm having thoughts that are uncomfortable. That's okay. Just because you have thoughts doesn't mean you have to do your thoughts. In fact, one of the components of seeing the mind as a sense organ is that it illustrates that we are not our minds, just like we are not our eyes right just like we are not our our skin we're 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 all of those things put together right but the, the the mind is just another sense organ and the fact that we can see our thoughts is proof that we don't have to do or be our thoughts and so once we start to differentiate between what the mind projects and our sense and, and who we are as as a as a person then we have the ability to choose not to do it. Then we have what's called awareness, right? We can see the thoughts, we're aware of the thoughts, but we don't have to participate in the thoughts. And this is the first step in doing this is just giving ourselves permission to have thoughts without without behaving them or to have emotional distress without without acting on it. And so some ways that you can do this is you can just take And I often talk about, I often tell people you can have mindfulness when you're sitting, walking, standing, or lying down. In other words, you can have mindfulness and you can do mindfulness meditation practice at any time throughout your day. You do not have to have a formal place where you sit. You don't have to do, I mean, you can have those things if you want. That's okay, but you don't have to. So even doing something like before you start your car, setting your keys down and taking a deep breath in through, in through your nose and out through your mouth, right? And just noticing your shoulders and letting those relax and doing that for three or four times and then starting your car. That's, that moment, that practice of mindfulness is the beginning, right? It doesn't mean you have to sit down for 45 minutes a day Yes, it is true, the research has shown uh, that the ideal, like for mindfulness-based stress reduction or you know, things like that, the goal might be to sit for 45 minutes a day. But you don't have to do that. Even if you just do one minute, that's 100% improvement over no mindfulness. We'll take that, and we slowly allow the habit of mindfulness to build upon itself and the, the habit of, of self-compassion to build upon itself. And so you just take these everyday things. I often hear clients say, I have the hardest time sleeping. That's a wonderful opportunity for mindfulness, to sit and notice your breath as you lay there, to notice you know, if you're feeling the discomfort and labeling it as discomfort and then recognizing your thoughts and coming back to your breath, right? Um, exercise is another another wonderful, wonderful time for mindfulness. I work a lot with clients who always wear it earphones when they're when they're exercising and I'll tell them, let's not do that. Let's take those earphones out when we're going for our jog and see what it's like. And I can't tell you how many clients come back and they say when they've done that, they couldn't continue to do it because the emotions were so powerful. I've had clients have to you know who have called me when they've done that exercise and said, you know, and been starting to cry because they're touching those soft spots of this the whole time. And this is what mindfulness is about. It's about gaining intimacy with yourself. And that's what recovery really is, right? Addiction is all about detachment from yourself. And we don't realize that, but that's what it is. And that's why we feel so lonely, why we're flooded with so much emotional pain. You know, and and recovery and mindfulness is about connecting to those parts of your soul and your, that shadow s- part of yourself, you know. And Dr. Kahn illustrates that with the titles of a lot of his books when he, when he talks about facing the shadow, right, and all of these things.
0: Yeah. You, you know, I'm just with you here. And just talking about mindfulness calms that central nervous system down. And truly what we know about many of our clients is that they're in trauma and their sympathetic and parasympathetic systems are on overdrive and as a result, they're out of their window of tolerance and they have difficulty focusing on what they can control. And so you said very understandably that if you get into your car and just allow that to be the space for 15 or 20 seconds of mindfulness, it's a great way to start out the day. And I love that because, you know, that's serenity prayer, looking for things that we really truly can control, and that's one of them, how, how we feel based on what we do with our bodies to slow it down and focus.
2: Absolutely, and what what you shared about the nervous system is so important, right? Because what we know now from the 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 brain scans, which are the technical uh, name of those are called fMRI or you know magnetic resonant imaging, uh, where they look at the brain and they can get detailed, they get very detailed with how many nerves and nerve connections, and they have what's called the amygdala, which is that threat response area. And what we have found is that when people participate in a consistent meditative practice, the amount of dendrites or the amount of nerve connection cells that are in the amygdala decrease. And what we also know is trauma survivors have an increased level of those neural connections from the amygdala. So in other words, those increased connections, we could say, create more, make the amygdala, which is the threat response area, more powerful in the brain. And the more we practice mindfulness, the less powerful that amygdala becomes and the less flooding our emotions become. And I always tell clients, just like Dr. Carnes talks about having a fire drill plan, right? You run the fire drill plan when you're in your right mind so that when you're in your addictive mind, you already have habituated the things that you need to do for your recovery. And it's the same thing with mindfulness. You practice mindfulness on a consistent basis, incorporating and weaving it into the fabric of your life when you're in your right mind, so that when you're in your fixated, addictive mind, you have an option. You can say, wait a minute, let me stop. Let me breathe. Let me reach out for help. Let me recognize that I'm outside my window of emotional or reactivity tolerance, and I need support, or I need to do nothing. And that's a skill that takes, that's a lifelong effort. I'm still working on it. (laughs) You know, I totally admit that. Um, It can be very difficult, and that's okay. That's part of the human condition. That's part of the struggle, and, and no matter how long we do it, we're always growing and learning and developing uh, more skills of mindfulness. You know, and that's the important thing to recognize is that, you know, I always tell addicts too, you know, we talk about mindfulness practice, right? And there was an addictive practice that they had. They practiced addiction in their lives. And recovery is also a practice. And we have to practice it day in and day out. And we we need to learn how the fundamental component of recovery is mindfulness because it's the it's the springboard for everything else, for all of the connection well, to others, right?
0: I love that you uh, reminded people that again, it mindfulness has so many multi purposes, and anytime we can give that amygdala a break, um, it it serves us well, and you know on a cellular level when people have been traumatized and then experience triggers as a result, um, on a cellular level, kindling starts to occur. And that's where your cells actually fray like rope. And then as that kindling occurs further, it starts to provoke the actual cell itself. And so it increases um, the activation, if you will, of what might happen from what has happened. And so it's so important to find opportunities to take really good care of our minds and our bodies. And doing that on a cellular level is absolutely an opportunity to rebuild not not just your recovery, but your body, mind, and spirit. And that's why mindfulness is so important. And so I would encourage our listening audience to get Darren's book, as well as if we've got clinicians um, who are listening, to take a look at his website. And, Darren, one more time, let everybody know the name of your website.
2: Oh, sure. So the the training uh, site is TMAT. It's T-M-A-A-T-T dot com. I and mean, you can go there and be added uh, click to be added to the waiting list. Um, and our, the where you can uh, find the books is at sono, Sano S-A-N-O Press And then, of course, if you're on the West Coast and you would like to come in for treatment or mindfulness coaching or anything like that, um, Mindfulness Centers or I'm sorry, yeah, MindfulCenters dot com is the website.
0: Yes, and I want to remind everybody at the beginning of the show, Darren said that he um, is in partnership with Mari. Uh, you may not okay. know Mari Lee because she has written many books on partners. She uh, co authored uh, the book with Stephanie Carnes, Facing Heartbreak, and she's helped therapist. Across the world, and uh, a creative exercise book for therapists to, to work with their clients, and she helped co-write uh, "Facing the Shadows" too, didn't she, Darren?
2: Um, she actually co-wrote. She helped co-write uh, co-write "Facing Heartbreak." So okay. With I don't know why uh, yeah. I thought she'd also done.
0: Okay so she obviously understands partners she is a certified sexual addiction therapist just like Darren and so truly they both have spent many years studying published research from top professionals in the and have you know probably over 40 years of experience with this now i want to ask you uh, Obviously, your decision to launch the Mindfulness Academy for Addiction and Trauma Training uh, was necessary because you felt like there was a void in in the community that we didn't have enough focus on that.
2: Yeah, so, you know, it, it's so amazing, right? And, and this speaks to, to Mari's wisdom, I think, and to, to her just incredible um, – skill at being a therapist and seeing you know the the process of recovery and we were we were talking you know one day and and I was talking about mindfulness and how you know I incorporated in in all of the aspects of treatment she was like so do I I can't believe it and so we started talking she goes she just shared she's like yeah you know that then just plain what what would what the the kind of uh, past treatment for addiction has been, which is c- plain cognitive behavioral therapy. It just is lacking the, uh, some components, those those compassion components, those mindfulness components, and and I just was like, I just agreed with her. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's so true. Like you put what was in my mind into words, which is just an amazing sk- skill that she she has. And you know, she said, you know, this is something that that the the world needs. We have to we you know we have to come together around this i mean we can't just sit here and say yes we use it and it works we have to share that that's something that needs to be shared because at the end of the day it's all about alleviating helping alleviate suffering in other people and in addicts and if that's what works in our treatment and that's what works for us individually then there have we have to we have to share this and that's what really you know Got the ball rolling, and, and you know, it, it, it's just another again testament to Tamari's incredible compassionate wisdom that she just emanates, I think, um, all the time, you know.
0: Yeah, I really do too, and that's she's uh, dubbed as the counselor's coach because she is so wise and does have. Um, Great skills to bestow on all of us. So I really enjoy everything she does and says. And she's been on the show several times. And and together, you two are a powerful force. I'm super excited for you. I oh, I said you. to Darren when I didn't even know he was doing this, and I said to him, I looked at the website. And it's like a slice of heaven. It, first of all, is so serene. The colors are beautiful. The logo is amazing. I mean, it just makes you want to take this training. So tell us a little bit about the training. If someone were interested in it, what would they be signing up for?
2: Yeah, so the training will be held, actually, the first training will be held at the Crown Plaza in, in beautiful Newport Beach. Um, and it's it's on three different levels. So the first level of training is three days or two and a half days, and it's in person. And during that, you know, you you would get more in-depth um, knowledge of what the mind is, how it works, and the different mind states that people you know, go through and how that affects addiction. And all of this, of course, is based in, in you know, very clear science and, you know, comes out of University of Washington, University of Wisconsin with uh, Richard Davison, who I don't know if you've heard of him, but in 2014, he was labeled one of the uh, 10 most influential men in the world uh, by Time magazine. Uh, and he's a neuropsychologist who's researched um, the Buddhist monks, if you will, and a lot of mindfulness. And he, they are, are level two is actually done in and on, it's all done online however you also have uh what we would call you know uh consultation with a mindfulness uh, consultant or supervisor um if you will i think we call them consultants but and that really is you know because you you can't you you can't learn how to practice you can't first of all you we're not able to be a mindfulness-based addiction therapist without without being without inc- pr- practicing mindfulness ourselves because it's it just you need to have mindfulness in order to learn how to see your mind and mindfulness practice has to be done in reflection because you have to have a, a coach or a, a consultant to work with you to help you learn how to see your own mind and not kind of be your own mind. And so that's what part two is. And you also have online activities that you do. And then the last component, level three, uh, is another two and a half days, and it's in person. And we hope uh, that the, the entire certification, our goal is to have you complete it no longer than two years after you start it. And, you, you know, you need about 30 hours of, um, or 25 hours of consultation through the whole process. And at the end, you become a certified mindfulness-based addiction and trauma therapist or an MBAT therapist, and you receive your certification, and, and then you're, you know, of course you have to do CEUs over the years, but you, you continue that process. And it's just an incredibly powerful and needed component to recovery and to, um, I I think, therapy in general, you know, yeah, I just think it's this is the component things, that
0: we've missed. It's one of those things that you're learning to help your clients, but there is no doubt that it will thoroughly improve your sense of serenity, your sense of self, and, and also the more mindful you are, the more effective you are in, in getting things done when, when you um, save space to just slow down and focus. It has unbelievable results, research proven, um, in in getting your goals accomplished.
2: Does it not? Absolutely, it does. In fact, I can't tell you. And I'm, you know, I don't guarantee that recovery will get you promotions at work. But I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who come back later and say, you know, if it, if it wasn't for therapy, I wouldn't have been able to get this promotion. I wouldn't have been able to handle these people, you know, in this way, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, manage the struggles that my, my family was going through that may be, you know, separate from addiction, um, you know, and so, and there's also research that shows, and this is not, again, I'm a, I'm a kind of one of those hardcore scientist people. Um, and I, can tell you that I don't buy into a lot of this stuff until it's proven to me and it through, through research and research has shown even a practice of mindfulness on a daily basis helps improve immune system functioning. It, ha- you know, it helps decrease chronic inflammation. It decreases your stress response. It's positive for your, for heart conditions and high blood pressure. I mean, and this it's uh, you know, it seems crazy. It's like, Oh my gosh, that's, that's ridiculous that it could do all of those things, but this is science. This is proven. This is, this is reality. And this is, I think what we are waking up to here in the West because the science is forcing us to the, the pioneering uh, research that, you know, John kabat Daniel Siegel and, and Richard Davison have done, have really forced the scientific community to start to look at this. And now the research into mindfulness has gone, it's, it's increased exponent, exponentially. In, in a recent book that I was reading called Alter Traits, it talks about just how profoundly the research has just gone off the charts uh, in the West around mindfulness because it's been so you know, proven to, to be effective in so many ways. And did you know that, I don't know if you knew this or not, but 8 out of 10 millionaires and billionaires have a, have a practice of mindfulness. In their lives. No,
0: I did not I just, know that, but I'm yeah. certainly not surprised.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I just learned that last night in a in a show I was watching. So, yeah. And you it's remember what amazing, the name
0: of that yeah.
2: show was? Yes, it's it's um, actually a YouTube show called Alux, and it's they they do like different entrepreneurial uh, segments. Um, and so I've gotten. I, I just launched another thing that I'm doing, kind of on the side, just to give back for free to the to the world and to the community. I don't is I, I launched a YouTube channel called The Mindful Addict, and I just give maybe ten or twelve minute um, segments there about recovery. And so I started to discover as I do this, all of these different YouTube. Channels and this this one is is very reputable. They they have it's all about you know entrepreneurs research. They don't just you know give opinions and stuff like that. So it's I I find I really like it. Okay, so give us
0: the name of your YouTube channel again.
2: Oh yeah yeah sorry it's the the show is called the Mindful Addict and it's just Darren Ford. So it's you know my my YouTube channel is Darren Ford the Mindful Addict. Wonderful. So, yeah.
0: Well, is there yeah. anything else that you would like to share with us? Because we're wrapping up, and I definitely so appreciate that you could come on and talk about your work with therapists and also with clients.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd like to share is just my immense gratitude to you, Carol. Thank you so much for having me and for our friendship and our professional um, relationship and I you are an amazing light in the world and I'm immensely grateful to you for for that Um, I would also you know yes yes you're welcome um I I'll just quickly share what what, when we were in um St. Louis last year it was I -hmm. just had some Mm -hmm. some of the greatest time that was so fun so we went to the SASH conference there and that was fun so um but the other thing that I think I would share with clients and with therapists alike is, is what – and it's really two things, and it's what I say at the end of every one of my sessions um, with a client, and it's what I say at the end of any trainings that I'm doing, um, which is what's one thing – I would ask everybody to ask themselves, what's one thing you can do that's loving and compassionate for yourself today, other than the fact that you listen to the show, listening to a show like this, is loving and compassionate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the next mm-hmm. thing I would say is be gentle with yourself. You're the only one of you in the universe. So be gentle with yourself.
0: Well, that's very, very good advice. And especially since we know that sex addiction has a lot of self-loathing as part of that sex addiction cycle. And yeah. we know that traumatized partners inherently don't feel good enough when sex addiction occurs. So be gentle with yourself. And, you know, even in the world of addiction, before you and I studied sex addiction, there was a, an, a request of therapists and theorists to reparent oneself. Because so oftentimes people that had drug and alcohol addictions um, had been parented improperly and didn't feel good enough and didn't get the praise and the encouragement and the love that that they deserved. And so, when one reparented oneself, they actually did that. They were gentler. They were kinder. They were encouraging. They stopped that negative self-talk by reframing and and being. More realistic about life, and so I love that you end every session like that because we constantly need to be reminded to treat ourselves like we would treat our own best friends. So Darren Ford, absolutely good friend of mine. I I loved St. Louis too, and I loved our trip up the Arch. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. phenomenal.
2: <laughs> so fun,
0: um, and I. I will see you at ITAP, which of course is the organizing body behind the certification of sexual addictions therapists. I'm gonna be um doing a workshop there. I wish you were presenting this material. I I will make sure to let everybody know what you're doing.
2: Oh, thank you so much. And and yeah, I think this year um they're just either I got my submission in too late or maybe there was just so many submissions I I wasn't approved this year. So but there's next year and and I'll stay focused and I'm immensely grateful to you know, if it wasn't for ITAP I wouldn't be the therapist I am today. They're just you know, Dr. Carnes, Stephanie Carnes, ITAP is just an incredible body and an incredible um, organization. So, you know.
1: Yes.
0: And so, again, as we end, I'm going to remind everybody that if you want to get a hold of Darren, you can do that by just looking at his website. It matters not if you're a therapist or an addict, but that will get you the contact information that you need to be able to look at this incredible website that he is utilizing and, and it's called the Mindfulness Academy for Addiction Training. Train, I'm sorry, and Trauma Training, and it is T M A A T T. And that way, you can contact Darren or Mari um, if you want to work with them. If you want to see where they're presenting, you know, out in the community, and if you're a clinician, um, definitely take advantage of this. And so I wish you well, my friend. I'll see you in April, and we'll talk soon.
2: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. And so obviously I really wanted him to talk about what he's doing because he's changing the world, and that's what it's all about. Um, and you know, I, I too try to change the world, don't I? Just one person at a time. I've got to tell you, I am, you know, I've done the Help You Heal um, course, the online course for men that may not do real well with writing and reading. And so the course will help you hear what I want you to know. It's on my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach. And then I have a partner betrayal course to help you know your strengths, to see your growth, and to monitor how you may be getting stronger. My belief is if this stuff doesn't take you down completely, it makes you stronger. And so, again, you can find it on my website. And, um... I'm doing some training for APSATS and creating some more couples courses so that our clinicians and coaches will know how to proceed because early couples recovery work is so doggone hard. But here's what I want you to know. It's a Sunday, and I want you to know that um, I'm writing another book on how couples can find the space to begin to forgive. Now, what I know to be true is that couples um, that, that work on this together, they want to stay together. And anger is obviously the number one feeling that addicts are dealing with um, from their wives or vice versa. If, if it's a woman addict and the husbands are dealing with their wives. But um, so many people are saying to me, Carol, how do I forgive this? How do I really forgive? And I tell them, A, you don't have to. for totally up to you as a betrayed partner. That's not necessary. But what we all do know is that forgiveness is an act of kindness for the person who's holding the anger. And so I am writing a book to help people to learn how to forgive. And since so many of the people I work with have had trauma in their past, it's also about how to forgive a perpetrator um, who just did not take care of you, who took advantage of you, exploited you. So just know you're the First, people to hear about this book. And it will probably be coming out the summer of 21. Okay, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, AKA Carol the Coach. And you may have noticed two things. One is I noticed some static, and I thought it was, uh, I have two podcasts, I thought it was the podcast before me, but it may be in my phone. Who knows that I'll get that fixed today. And um, I have a microphone, a real microphone, and I've been hesitant to use it. And, of course, many of you know I did drive time radio. I know how to do a microphone. I actually love microphones, so we'll see what happens. And then the second thing that I want you to know is that there will only be one of you at all times and fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And if you would, look up mindfulness, Google mindfulness, grab a book that you have on mindfulness and see if you can't put that into your life this week. And we'll see you next week for more Sex Help
1: with Carol the Coach. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.